Yeah, I know the name, but no, I can't tell you what she did. No. A singer? I don't think so. No. <laughs> I have no idea. No. Should I know who she is? <laughs> it's somebody significant, isn't it? Was she the one who did the voting? Women's rights activist leader, political mover, shaker. One of the women who fought for the persons case in Manitoba, the right, uh, so for women to be recognized as persons um, and have the right to vote. Of course I know who Nellie McClung was. Kick-ass feminist. Yeah. <laughs> Today we'll learn more about her and an important upcoming centennial. Getting the vote for women. I'm Robert Zirk. This is River City 360. Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk, and joining me as always is my co-host, Nolan Bignall. Today on River City 360, you can take a tour of a great exhibit at the Manitoba Museum with us. It tells the story of how women in Manitoba were the first to receive the right to vote in Canada. Then we'll learn about the first annual Nelly Awards and the foundation that created them to honor the legacy of Nelly McClung. And finally, we'll have the latest stories from citizen reporters at CNC, Winnipeg's citizen journalism website. All this, some great music, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and good morning, Nolan and Robert with you this fine Sunday morn in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You know, when you mark an X on your ballot at the polls, perhaps you think about what the result might be, about the political parties or about the local candidates involved. But do we think about the right to vote and that it was something that many Canadians didn't have and actually had to argue for as recent as 100 years ago? January 28th marks the centennial of Manitoba women being granted the right to vote, Manitoba being the first province in Canada to grant that right, and there are several events in our community that commemorate that day. One of those events is happening at the Manitoba Museum. They have a special program running this weekend called Because It Was 1915, which is a reference to our current Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's uh, more recent Because It's 2015 quote that provides some more insights regarding the suffragist movement at the time. And going on now until April 10th, you can visit the museum's Nice Women Don't Want the Vote exhibit, which is named after the infamous quote by Manitoba's then Premier Sir Rodmond Roblin, which features artifacts and an interactive audio component, and even a comment ballot box where you can leave your own comments um, about women's suffragist movement and, and women's rights in general. Earlier this week, RC360 went on a tour of the exhibit with Roland Sawatsky, the Curator of History at the Manitoba Museum, and we'll hear highlights from our tour after the break. Before we get to that, let's start the show off with a tune. How about 101 Strings with Stardust, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. So Nolan, you and I were able to take a tour of the Nice Women Don't Want the Vote exhibit at the Manitoba Museum. Uh, we met up with curator of history Roland Sawatsky, and he walked us through the exhibit and answered a few of our questions. Roland told us all about the various artifacts and their historical significance, as well as some context as to how Manitoba fit into the suffragist movement across Canada. As we walked through the exhibit, we were met with pictures of women from all over Manitoba and beyond, some very candid photos that gave us a glimpse into what their lives were like over a hundred years ago and who was involved in this pivotal time in Canadian history. These are all just everyday women. Uh, we don't know the, the extent of their involvement in the movement. Some of them would have been, some of them wouldn't have been. Some of them probably didn't care and some of them uh, were perhaps anti-suffragists themselves. But it affected these women. Whatever was happening in that decade, that affected these women. Nellie McClung's name appeared multiple times on our tour. She was a prolific writer and leader of the suffragist movement, and Roland told us how important she was to the movement and to the exhibit. She wrote 16 books. She was quite prolific. And this is a book she wrote in 1915 in times like these, where she talks specifically about um, equal rights for women. Is it satire? It says it's humorously written. It is humorously written. She was a humorous person. Okay. And, and that was one of the strengths of the movement is um, they used logic and they used humor, and satire is part of that, of course. Um, whereas in England, there was a very militant side um, of, the, of the suffragette movement. Um, and, uh, and so there was a lot of conflict and there was some violence. But here in Manitoba, they decided to go in the opposite direction and use wit um, and, and the strength of their arguments um, to, to win the vote. And, and that worked. We'll be speaking to Lila Goodspeed of the Nellie McClung Foundation a little bit later on in the show, and we'll ask her a lot more about Nellie McClung and her amazing story, so be sure to stay tuned for that. On the tour of the Nice Women Don't Want the Vote exhibit, we also learned about how, even though women received the right to vote a hundred years ago, Indigenous people weren't able to vote until many years later. Roland really gave us some historical context on the difference. One of the reasons was with the treaties, um, you could, if you were an Indigenous person, you could vote, technically. But if you voted, that means you gave up all your treaty rights, which is seems crazy, right? Because that those treaties were uh, symbolically and 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 economically very very important. They were very meaningful things to these folks. So to give that up, to vote for someone who probably didn't have your best interests in mind anyways, would have been absurd. Um, it just would have been an illogical thing to do. So, um, so that's one of the things we get into in this exhibit as well. One part of the exhibit that really stood out for us was a giant painted wood wall siding, which read in big white painted letters, no vote for women. And that had a very interesting origin story as well. Originally, it was painted uh, Vote for Women uh, by a woman who lived uh, just north of Portage La Prairie. And um, the story goes uh, that when her husband came home, he painted no in front of it. Uh, so you can imagine the kinds of discussions that were happening. Uh, and that's one of the reasons it's a great artifact, is that it gets the, all the tension of the movement in one nice big artifact here. And it's quite striking. Now, we weren't the only people taking a tour at the Manitoba Museum. There was a group of children that came through, and evidently the museum does daily tours for schools and a customized program for children to learn about the exhibit. Certainly our school programs uh, folks have, have done a great job in putting the program together. I've listened to it a few times and um, really, really engaging. Uh, and students, students are responding well, so we're, we're very happy about that. 
Coming up after the break, we'll speak with Anya Moody-Foster, museum program developer at the Manitoba Museum, and she'll tell us all about the programs that are offered for students and teachers at the museum and how the exhibit has affected the youth of today. But right now, here's Strictly Instrumental by Harry James, right here on River City 360. Foster and I'm a museum program developer here so um, I have the privilege of uh, taking these exhibits and uh, turning them into school programs and and helping find ways to connect with uh, students of different ages uh, so you the content. so you work with uh, other schools and sort of help them in maybe preparing them for their museum visit or how does that work yes well actually that's been one of the wonderful things about this project is we actually were able to hire a consultant to prepare a teacher's guide for us with post visit and, and pre-visit activities um, so the students can extend their learning. Uh, what I do is mainly uh, uh, figure out what we're going to do with the students when they come here uh, to see the exhibit itself. 
And have you dealt, have you, have you seen sort of the reactions firsthand of kids co- coming through here? And, and what are they? It's very interesting because it hits the curriculum in grade six, in grade nine, in grade 11. And students of those ages are all in very different places. Um, the, the quote that sticks out to most of them is the, you know, uh, women, lunatics, uh, uh, idiots and criminals may vote. And, uh, you know, especially grade sixes have a very um, black and white sense of fairness. And uh, so when I asked a group uh, just this week, you know, what they thought of it, a boy's and shot up immediately he said that is offensive and I'm like yes it is my friend uh, you know they have a very um, you know they can't quite believe it um, and then when you get into the the high school students you know they're they're having a more sophisticated understanding of the world and you know we get into some of the the contradictions of the movement um, how you know not all these women agreed on things um, how some women were excluded um, how um, uh, there were issues that divided women as well as um, uh, brought them together and also they've just uh, you know, have a more sophisticated understanding of, you know, the challenges that uh, women and, uh, you know, people fighting for their rights face today. What has been your personal sort of connection? What, what, what have you taken away from this that you maybe learned or didn't know before? I think one of the things that it sort of occurred to me recently is just the power of governments to influence people's lives and that maybe we don't appreciate that. You know, we, uh, you know, in this era where we have human rights and we think that the law protects us, well, if you look back in the past, it hasn't protected people and it has excluded people and it has uh, you know for First Nations they were not allowed to vote and the government was systematically intervening in their lives so who we have in government and what we allow them to do um, can have tremendous impacts on people and it's all of our responsibilities to um, participate in the in the political process and hopefully students will come uh, and do that yeah when you see a kid go through this and, and they learn about it, do they talk about sort of politics and the effect that they can have at all? Absolutely. And and you, you see that um, one of the things that the challenges that these women faced in their movement was, you know, they didn't have the kind of communications that uh, we have today. And so students are interested in causes and interested in uh, finding out about issues and have a sense that they need to be active in uh, forming their society. And they can make a difference. If, if these women can do it, then for sure anyone else can do. Absolutely. One of the points we really try to bring across is that, you know, this didn't just happen in 1916. Um, It, you know, was a movement that led up to it and that it wasn't the end of the struggle. Many people were excluded. Women in Quebec didn't get it until 1940, the vote. Aboriginal people didn't fully have access to the vote until 1960. Um, And so we're still on that journey. And that's what I really hope that the students will get across, that they are part of this journey and the journey is continuing and they need to take up the mantle of uh, taking us to a a more just society. Even nowadays, there's some countries that are going through what we went through 100 years ago. Absolutely. Saudi Arabia, just last month, women voting for the first time. Um, And and, I mean, people voting just fairly recently there as well. So, you know, our system is, is... not the only system. That's the thing, like, uh, Aboriginal women were left out of the vote, but they, you know, were strong people in their community. They had traditions. Um, So we can't forget about that as well. Um, These women who came, they sort of formed a new society here, but there were other societies here that had traditions and that women played a strong role. And uh, uh, that's one of the things that, you know, is the responses we get from people is, is how can we empower Indigenous women to make changes in our society? Um, for anyone that's listening to this that might be a teacher or a student or a grandparent or anything, what would you tell them about Nice Women Don't Want the Vote and what they'll 
experience when they come here. Absolutely. Well, if there are teachers, they should absolutely book to come. The exhibit is here until April 10th. Um, we also have our teacher's guide, uh, which we will give to uh, teachers who come to book the exhibit, or they can purchase it in our gift shop. But uh, yeah, I think it's a great thing to come down and uh, see the exhibit. We do have some special programming, especially on the weekend after the, the anniversary, so the weekend of the 30th and 31st. Uh, you can even come down and meet Roland that day and to hear more of these stories that are so uh, much a part of our history. And where can they find more information? Absolutely, at manitobamuseum.ca. We'll have all the details there. Thank you very much. As Anya said, for more information, you can visit www.manitobamuseum.ca. Coming up after the break, we'll learn more about a teacher, author, activist, and politician who made Manitoba history. And some say the turning point was her satire of the premier at the time. We'll learn all about Nellie McClung from the board chair of the Nellie McClung Foundation. But first, here's the Denny Vaughn Orchestra with Then I'll Be Happy on River City 360. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with my co-host Nolan Bicknell, and we are now joined by Lila Goodspeed. She's the chair of the Nellie McClung Foundation. Lila, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure to be here. So first of all, why was the Nellie McClung Foundation established, and what does the foundation do? Well, it was really established because it was noted that somebody as prominent as Nellie McClung was not found anywhere in some sort of memorialized way. And so what happened is, about uh, 2002, the private member's bill was put forward to the government, and it was for the purpose of establishing the Nellie McClung Foundation Act. And it was actually something that was unanimously supported in the legislative uh, building, and so that was fabulous. And more importantly, it was promoting her memory through putting a, a monument on the grounds of the legislature so that it would be available for people to come and visit and see and, and in a really prominent place. And then our second part of the mission was to educate people about her legacy. And so the, the statue was built 
people were very, very generous. And so that we then had funds left over to set up a very good website and an archives that is there for anybody to use. And there's all kinds of lesson plans for when students are studying in this area. Why do you think it's important for younger generations who maybe aren't familiar with Nellie McClung and her story to remember her and what she contributed to women's suffrage and women's rights and human rights in general? Well, I think we all look for a model or, or somebody that is our hero or somebody that has done something exceptional. And so she clearly has done it. And to have her as an example is something that really compels people to to take part. We're never going to move ahead if we don't have people picking up on the same kind of legacy, the same sort of interest in social justice, the same sort of of will uh, to be the voice for the voiceless and to lift people up who are in, in difficult times. And Nellie was one of those people who worked with people. So to suggest that it was just her would not be fair because there are many women in the Political Equality League who helped and just generally the public that supported her. And she ended up speaking all over, everywhere, and nobody would miss a performance because basically she was a great performer, a real orator, and she would have people in stitches and laughing so hard and then in tears. So she just had that magical touch, I think, with people. I kind of got the sense that she was a great satirist. She was very quick-witted and had a great sense of humor. And you get that from reading the description of how she portrayed the premier in the mock parliament. Yes. She was very witty and clever and quick. And, And people liked her. She was one of those personalities that everybody liked. They may not have liked her opinions or uh, that type of thing, but uh, in some of the quotes you hear, people said you couldn't help but like her. And she also made it comfortable for everybody to speak. And she obviously listened to people as well. And so it it was a really special person. And you'd have to be like that to be so convincing and motivating people to, to support an issue that was so important and so divisive at the time. When we come back, we'll talk more about the Nellie Awards and how they honor Nellie McClung's legacy. You're listening to River City 360. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk and Nolan Bicknell here with you, and we are talking with Lila Goodspeed. She is the board chair of the Nellie McClung Foundation. Nellie McClung is best known for her work in getting the vote for women in Manitoba. But even after that, because she did move to Alberta and became a politician there, Mm -hmm. um, she also had a lot of other accomplishments in terms of social justice and Mm -hmm. human rights. What are some of the things that she did that maybe our listeners might not be as aware of? Well, after um, leaving Manitoba and going to Alberta, she continued her fight for the right of women to vote. And then a few years after, the women in Alberta also got got the right to vote. 
in then 1929, she worked on the whole persons case, where women were not considered persons, and it had to be sent to the Privy Council in England to be determined that, yes, in fact, they were. Which and is important, because that gave Canadian women the right to serve on the Senate. That's right. How can the public get involved with the Nellie McClung Foundation, and where can they go to learn more? We established three endowment funds here at the Winnipeg Foundation, and two of them are for uh, people studying in the area of women's studies or social justice. And then we have a special award called the Nellie McClung Art Legacy Award. And this is because she was really an artist in a way, in many ways. And so we thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to recognize women who have done things artistically that reflect social justice or change? That's great. And what a great way to honor her as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. her creative works did so much to advance the causes of women's rights Mm -hmm. and social justice. Going back to her books, I read somewhere that her first book sold 100,000 copies, which is quite a bit for back in the day. It was a bestseller for sure. Isn't that amazing? And then, of course, going back to the the mock parliament as well, where, you know, that was such a a commentary on what was going on at the time. I think so much of what she did has formed a fabulous foundation for how we can do outreach things. On January 28th, the Foundation's holding a gala celebrating the centennial of Manitoba women being granted the right to vote. And with that, there are the first annual Nellie Awards named after Nellie McClung. That's right. Could you tell me a little bit about the awards and why was it important for them to be established? Well, we wanted something to recognize Nellie. And of course, how better to do it than to find women in the community, both in the city and rural community, who have walked in her footsteps in terms of social issues and human rights and women's rights. And so we decided to recognize 10 women, and that's what's going to happen at the gala. And it's going to be at the convention center, and there's still tickets available, not many. So if anybody's interested, they can look for tickets on our website, which is rnelly.com, and we'd love to see you. That's excellent. Lila, thank you again so much for coming down and taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg of Community News Commons joins us in studio to tell us about this week in citizen journalism. But first, we'll play you another tune. Here's uh, Billy Vaughn with Look for a Star right here on RC360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning, and we are now joined by a very special guest. It's Noah Ehrenberg. He is the convener of Community News Commons, friend of the show, and uh, one of the people that we collaborate with uh, to do our wonderful work that we do here on RC360. Noah, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. So, uh, as we ask you every week, what's happening through the lens of Community News Commons with journalism or citizen journalism in our great city? Well, I'll tell you, this week is really the spirit of collaboration. Um, we have a lot of uh, partners with uh, Community News Commons. One of our primary partners is Red River College, and in particular the journalism program there. Journalism students there have um, been participating in this project for the last few years, and uh, this year is no exception. Uh, this week and next, we are sort of rolling out a series of features that uh, the second-year journalism students have been writing, and um, they are some terrific stories. There are some terrific stories that we have uh, up on the site can, uh, right now. Can they write about whatever, or it, did they, you give them an assignment, or what's the... Well, the assignment was to, was to write a feature story, okay. and uh, they have been uh, writing on all sorts of different topics. Um, Daniel Doran for example, writes on uh, postpartum depression awareness mm-hmm. in Manitoba and how one in five moms experience postpartum mood disorders. Um, yet many are um, who are affected by it, they struggle right. to, uh, to seek help. Uh, Riley Shervinsky writes about the return of uh, the uh, predatory cat known as the cougar uh, into Manitoba and uh, how that might change hunting and trapping laws mm-hmm. in our province. Uh, Bailey Hildenbrand has a great uh, feature on uh, giving homes to homeless and how the uh, solution to getting people off the street and into homes is uh, by way of providing homes first and then after that providing some treatment for, say, mental health issues or addiction issues. Mm-hmm. Ligia Bredotti uh, talks about the Winnipeg Taxi Service stepping up fights against Uber. That's a oh, really, geez, that's a hot-button topic it for sure. It sure is, and she does a great feature on that. Cool. And uh, Evan Matthews talks about the new commissioner at uh, City Hall, who the integrity commissioner who is supposed to restore faith in City Hall, but some critics think that you know City Hall is worse off huh. than ever nowadays. So there's just a whole... Uh, sort of range of stories that are really well written, really well done, lots of multimedia in them. There's some audio, there's some video. And so uh, I'd encourage our listeners to take a look at those stories on uh, communitynewscommons.org. You can really get a glimpse into the future of journalism and, and sort of the uh, who's coming up in Absolutely. the minor leagues of journalism before they really uh, take off and, Absolutely. and run things. For sure. That's great. So what other stories are happening on CNC from some of the maybe perhaps more established writers who have written for CNC before. Well, speaking of uh, collaborative efforts, um, Jennifer Pollock from Balmoral Hall, mm-hmm. uh, she is a, an educator there at the at the school here in Winnipeg. Uh, she has been writing for Community News Commons for the last uh, couple of years, and she really, what she does is she, she really uh, looks at the site as a way to talk about some of the things going on in her neighborhood, in her um, area, which is essentially Balmoral Hall uh, School for Girls. And so um, she had a great little article uh, this past week about a health, uh, a wellness day that they held at Mormoral Hall where all the students um, do a number of different things to think about uh, increasing their awareness of mental health, okay. uh, increase their awareness about just sort of living healthy uh, as a way to improve their cognitive function. So essentially, they learn about a number of different activities that they can do throughout their lives in order to give themselves the best chance at mental health, and then they take those 
types of, uh, of uh, skills that they've learned, and they apply them to all sorts of things in their life. So uh, it's really uh, an inspiring story, and I, I really appreciate uh, Jennifer Pollock from Balmoral Hall uh, contributing to Community News Commons and using it in this collaborative way that right. it's meant to be. So, I mean, she's writing about her neighborhood. How can some of our listeners write about stories from their neighborhoods? It's real easy. You just go to the main site, which is communitynewscommons.org, and um, you click on the uh, register button or the become a citizen reporter button, which is at the top right hand corner. And it's very easy to sign up to the site and then to begin to post your stories. And certainly people can always reach me here at uh, Community News Commons, which is in the offices of the Winnipeg Foundation at 204-944-9474. And uh, just ask for Noah Ehrenberg. And I'm always uh, happy to help people out in terms of figuring out the story they want to tell and of course if they have any problems in terms of posting the story on the website that's great and every and, and when it gets down to it everybody's got a story so absolutely why not and we're storytellers yeah yes indeed so every week we ask you to bring in a local song to show to share with our listeners something they may not have heard before so what have you brought for us this week well this week i would like to have some big fun or at least Finn is ah, uh, well is played. The, <laughs> is the, um, the group that I'm uh, interested? It's the annual indie music fest, um, which turns five this year. That takes over various city venues, uh, January 27th to 31st, for 15 concerts over 45 acts, including many headlining locals. And one of those locals is emerging indie pop rock outfit Finn. That's F I N N. The quintet features three Baron brothers, Dan, John, and Matt, plus two non-brothers, uh, Cody Iwasiak and uh, Micah Visser. Um, and they will be at the Goodwill on January the 29th for some late-night live music uh, after the Manitoba Music Showcase. Cool. And, of course, they'll also be at the Festival de Voyager on February the 12th, and you're, you're going to want to stay tuned for a new album to follow up the band's self-titled uh, debut EP. And in the meantime, you're now playing their song Godsend, which is from their EP, also called Godsend. This is Finn on River City 360 CGNU 93.7 FM. This rain is a godsend A sleek film on a party's edge This brain's got an odd head But it's something to learn, something to learn, something The king cans on the carpet the queen size for the single men Prince playing in apartments Cause it's something to learn, something to learn, something Something to learn, something to learn, something
Next week on RC360, we'll tell you all about a great new community competition among charities in our city that's a win-win for everyone involved. In addition, I just want to tell you about an upcoming community event tied to On the Same Page, which is Manitoba's largest book club brought to you by the Winnipeg Public Library and the Winnipeg Foundation. Uh, It's back for its latest season, and uh, the 2016 selection is called The Evolution of Alice, written by author David Alexander Robertson, and... The first event is coming up on January 28th at 7 p.m. It's called Stories and Songs, so there are stories and conversations with uh, David as well as author and screenwriter Jordan Wheeler, and there's also going to be music by Leonard Sumner. That's happening again Thursday, January 28th at 7 p.m., and that's taking place at the Yellow Dog Tavern, 386 Donald Street. We'll keep you updated on future On the Same Page events right here on River City 360. Well, that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening, and a big thank you to all of our guests, Roland Sawatsky and Anya Moody-Foster of the Manitoba Museum, to Lila Goodspeed of the Nellie McClung Foundation, and to Noah Ehrenberg of Community News Commons. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website online at rivercity360.org. That's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation, in partnership with Community News Commons and CGNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the show. What did you think about the stories we featured about Nellie McClung and the Nice Women Don't Want the Vote exhibit? Let's hear your feedback. So give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also leave us a comment about the show in general, request a song, or suggest a topic for a future show. So again, leave us a message on our listener line. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. To find us online on Twitter on Facebook, you can find us at RiverCity360 on Twitter and search RiverCity360 on Facebook. I'm Robert Zirk for River City 360. And I'm Nolan Bicknell. Thank you again for listening. Be sure to tune in next week at 8.15 every Sunday morning for more views and news from around Winnipeg. Have a great Sunday.